Hello, welcome along to episode two of Feature Length, the weekly film podcast with Richard Newman and Seth Mason. So we made it to another episode, Seth. Mm-hmm. So obviously we're doing something right. Yeah. Maybe not Maybe not just right, but you know, at least okay. Yeah. We're doing this again. We haven't died in the last seven days. No. That's mm-hmm. slightly... I'm not Sorry. looking at that. That's not the perspective yeah. I was Look looking at, at it from. Yeah, good. Yeah, okay. Um, so a quick reminder before we get started, you can get in contact with the programme by emailing us, featurelengthpod at gmail.com, and you can also follow us on Twitter, just search Feature Length. And we're in a nice new sort of studio today. We sorted this out. We think we sorted out our sound problems from last yeah. week in our echoey tinny room. And this is a really nice chair. Yeah? I mean, you are in the, the daddy chair. I, yeah. I've, it's oh, a good chair. It's good. It's a swivel chair. Just just to visualise this, it's a swivel chair with armrests and it's got even got a leany backy thing. Velvet. What's the leany backy? Oh, it's know. just like mine's just upright, usual kind of standard keep awake sort of thing. So if you hear me just talking a bit later on, it's because Seth, the old man, has had a little sleep. Right, coming up on the programme today, reviews on this week's new releases, notably Oscar nominated The Fighter, Brighton Rock, and Sanctum 3D. That's definitely not an Oscar-nominated one, is it? Um, An update on the box office top 10, and we take a look at cinematic television and the impact of film on our viewing on the small screen following the launch last week of Sky Atlantic. First, then, new releases. And we're going to start with Sanctum 3D. Now, you've you've seen this one. I I, I haven't. And um, you haven't exactly come raving to me about it so far. So, um, right, start off. What is it? Well, it's it's well, its full name I think is James Cameron presents Sanctum, which is probably well, it's a very clever marketing tool. It's going to get everyone in, or the people that will come to see it will probably come to see it because of that. Well, um, just expecting another. Yeah, just Avatar. expecting James. Yeah, riding kind of very much riding on the back of Avatar. I mean, James Cameron is known. He's he's sort of got a whole kind of watery you know peril thing going on. He did the Abyss, and then obviously Titanic. You know, never heard of it. Well, never heard of Titanic. <laughs> I don't know, look it up. Go go into yeah, Blockbuster. Okay, is it good? Ask for oh, it's alright. Okay. Have you, have good you soundtrack? No. <laughs> Any songs I heard of? No, some French woman, I don't know. Okay. She, just, she has a little warble. It's alright. Alright, all right. Um, yeah, no, look it up. Okay. Um yeah, no, it's it's a kind of it's a it's a diving adventure thriller, uh kind of claustrophobic. Um it, right, well going I mean going back to James Cameron. James Cameron <laughs> has got this before he went off on a tangent. Yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> that's all right. James Cameron is known for these sort of, you know, underwater epics, if you will. Um, there was The Abyss and then obviously Titanic. Uh, and he sort of, he knew what he was doing with those. I mean, both of them kind of received mixed reviews, but they're both spectacles. They're both sort of pretty, you know, impressive movies. Right. Um, this just isn't. What, by, what is it? But it's filmed, is it filmed with 3D cameras? It's filmed with 3D cameras, um, but there's just, uh, James it, Cameron can create worlds, like obviously with Avatar, Pandora, all that stuff, you know, really, 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 he's got such a good visual mind, and it should be said that he is only the producer on this, he's right. not the executive, one of nine producers on this, so, so it's not his baby, I mean, it's an Australian cast, uh, an Australian crew, uh, filmed in Australia. That's the thing about it. You can just tell. It's one of those films. It's you, you just. It's kind of laughable. Some of the bits where you can see that it's a set. So what's? I mean, is it? What is the idea simply for this film just to show what three D can do again? Is that what the idea? Kind of. I mean, James Cameron said that three D is basically pointless if it's more than twenty feet away because the eye doesn't pick it up and the cameras don't really pick it up. Um, hmm. So I mean, this is a very kind of claustrophobic film. 
these people are these you know these underwater divers their their cave floods that you know their only escape route up back you know of course they've got limited oxygen they've got limited resources it's the whole kind of you know against time thing uh and basically um they have to get out and survive and they don't do it in a very uh convincing way but they come out alive they, well, I'm not going to say that. Is that that's too much? Okay, right. That's sorry. too much to give Someone's away. Bad but basically, no. It's as I was saying. No? James Cameron creates worlds, but it. I mean, this is. I mean, they they didn't really film anything in caves. Okay, so but overall, okay, that's okay. So overall, visually, then, um, to, to to sum up, we you look at Avatar, yeah, and um, let's be honest, not the best script, is it? It's not the fan. It's not fantastic no, writing. But it, it it's not right story. I mean, obviously, it's got to have some sort of length because we're going to have uh, another two of them aren't we yeah this um, is an hour and a half right okay um, which is obviously a lot, which a lot is shorter enough. than Avatar yeah um, but um, visually anyway Avatar took you on that journey didn't it and um, that was enough to keep you going now are you saying then for, with, that with, with Sanctum the story obviously in your opinion isn't that great um, but visually is it enough to keep you going is it going to is, is it going to be enjoyable for that not really. Avatar, I mean, no. Avatar, yeah. Avatar was sort of a whole world, all these, you know, revolutionary special effects, everything. This is literally, I mean, you think at one point they're going to kind of go through the soundstage and they'll be doing Neighbours Next Door or something. It's really kind of right. that level of just, okay. I mean, you, it's just the colour of the rocks, these sort of, you know, these sort of swollen yellow blobs coming off the wall, which you just can see are sort of made of plasticine or, you know, just... Okay. All right. So um, overall, Sanctum 3D. Overall, no. it's not very. It's not very exciting. The script. I mean, it's really miscast. Yoan Grufford from Fantastic Four. Isn't oh, yeah. It? Yeah. Is he? He's yeah. He plays an American, which I didn't know right. why they got a Welshman to play an American doesn't in an Australian movie. British people. He anymore. doesn't really do. Uh, he just has nothing to do, and he doesn't do it very well. And everyone else is pretty much unknown. Um, there's a lot of sort of you know, uh, yeah. No. 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 Just just no. Okay. Yeah. Um, Brighton Rock. Brighton Rock um, was not so much a surprise, but um, very, very... Did it it rock? It did rock. (laughs) It really rocked. Um, It's a very, very good film. Really good film. So, quick premise. Uh, Quick premise. uh, Pinky, who's this sort of small town Brighton crook. Well, not small town, really, but Brighton crook, part of a gang. Played um, by Sam Riley. Played by Sam Riley from Control, um, the uh, Joy... Oh, what is it? It's Joy Division, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it is Joy Division. I've forgotten his name now. Just say Sam Riley from Ian Curtis. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We can edit that out. Yeah, just say that. Just say Sam Riley from Control. Sam Riley from Control. Uh, Sam Riley from Control, uh, who, yeah, plays a small-time guy, Pinky, uh, kills a man at the beginning of the film. Um, Basically, he's about to get caught. There's a photograph out there. Uh, which will incriminate him, which in it uh, has uh, contains this young girl who he goes, sort of has this romance. You don't really know what's going on with it at first. You don't know whether it's legitimate or not. Uh, and then that all starts to unravel. Uh, and then, you know, throw into that a few more murders. And then you've got Helen Mirren who comes in and she's sort of, you know, the, the watchful eye over it all. Uh, and she can sort of see that things aren't quite right. And she's, you know, very close to going with the cops. She's beginning to dig deeper. Uh, she's going to get Pinky in a lot of trouble. Uh, and it's just basically sort of just, you know, set amongst this really lovely, you know, these great shots of Brighton. It's kind of a love letter to Brighton in parts, really. Hmm. Um, they've put it in because it was originally a it was originally a book back in the 20s, I think. Then they, redid the, uh, then they made a film of it in the f- sort of 40s or 50s. 
Um, and then they made this film, which they've sort of decided to set in the 60s, uh, the sort of mod era, sort of mod versus yeah. rockers era. Uh, and some of that stuff works really well. I mean, there's a really great shot of, um, you know, all these little sort of scooter bikes, um, you know, and, you know, led by Sam Riley, just all going down Brighton Pier. Um, and it's a really, really, really great shot. I mean, there's some really good camera work in this film. Really, really just impressive, beautiful to look at, great filter. It's kind of got a noir feel to it. So you, you say you're impressed with the direction then. Who's it Who's it directed by? Yeah, it's directed by Ryan Joffe, who this is actually his first kind of feature film. Um, and it's really, really sort of... The first feature film as director. He's yeah, been yeah. involved in a few yeah, yeah. He's, other he's, bits before, yeah, has he? He's done, I mean, he's done screenplay. He's done writing for 28 Weeks Later, uh, which was, you know, an all right. Didn't really require so much script work, but it was, you know, still pretty good. And The American, which was actually really, really boring. The George Clooney movie. <laughs> Just, came just, out about three weeks ago. Just come out so completely. Well, it was, had its moments. And again, it was a film that was more on its visual uh, than it was on its, you know, sort of screenplay and, you know, and what was sort of going on in the story. Whereas this, um, you know, it's got great. It's got a really good story. It's got a good script. Um, it's got some, yeah, really good acting. I mean, John Hurt as well turns up and he's kind of, you know, been doing the sort of, you know, posh old mental kind of role for a mm. little bit now. And this is a real kind of, you know, it's not a very big role, but it's a fairly meaty role. And so uh, yeah, good, he impressed just in that. Really good performances then. Yeah, it is. And it's a shame actually that it hasn't, I don't know whether it's missed the deadlines, that it hasn't had more kind of, you know, at least sort of BAFTA recognition. Mm. Um, it really, you know, is that good. I mean, there's really good characterization in it uh, as well. All these characters are sort of very, very complex people, uh, very well performed. So yeah, that's actually um, nearly, not quite nearly film of the week. Huge, huge support from Seth there mm. for Brighton Rock. Go and see that one. Okay, um, so the focus this week is on The Fighter. Also a new release this week. Uh, before we get really into it, let's go for a quick premise. So yeah. it's a big boxing film. Yeah, big boxing movie. Mickey, who's sort of played by Mark, uh, played by Mark Wahlberg, is kind of the only sort of breadwinner of this family. Um, not very well off family. Uh, he's a boxer. He's a very nice guy. He's doing very well. He's trying his best, but he's not really getting anywhere. Uh, he's not. He's got the support from his family, but they're all a bit. They're sort of basically milking him for all he's worth. Mm. Um, and it sort of gets to that point in his life where he's starting to, you know, re sort of look at his family without sort of rose tinted glasses. But hugely influenced by his brother, um, Dicky. Yeah, hugely influenced as a sort of you know a, a supportive base. But as I'm saying, he's sort of looking at his family. And thinking, well, actually, you know, I know I love them, they're my family, but, you know, what do I need to do to be able to, you know, be true to myself? Oh, I think so. Yeah. No, that's sort of that's sort of one of the main questions in the film, I think. Well, yes and no. I think that um, there's a... I mean, uh, Dickie is played by Christian Bale, who is um, heavily tipped for the Best Supporting Actor role um, uh, award, isn't he, at the Academy Awards. He's pretty much yeah. sweeping it everywhere already um for me he makes the film uh, i think his performance is fantastic he's um really you know he's, he's he's he plays a crack addict basically yeah um and um i think that um uh, mark Wahlberg's character mickey he he uh he looks up to dickie so much that um he, he actually can't let go and and we see that because there's lots of times when he tries to let go, he continually tries to let go from his family, but it always comes back to Dickie and he always listens to Dickie and Dickie is always in the corner and he's always right. And his tactics, even for fights are right, he even comes back to him. He avoid, avoids all the other all the other things he's, he's trained for, all the game plans, everything. Throws all out the window and goes back to Dickie. I think he succeeds in a way 
in getting away from the rest of the family, especially his mum, who is um, brilliantly played. But uh, she's, she, I mean, she the, the, the fact that, the, the fact that, you, that that we absolutely hate her by the end, really, she gets a bit annoying. For me, she got very annoying. Um, but but I, I I don't know. I I, I thought Christian Bale was um, was fantastic, and I, and I, and, I, and I don't think that um, Mickey does try and completely get away from Dickie. I think he might get angry with him, but maybe not. To the I point think of pushing I, him away. I th- I never said he actually does. I think what happens is that he has to analyse. He as well gets this this sort of new girlfriend played by Amy Adams, who's yeah. very good in it as well. Um, and she's just sort of another voice in his ear, and he's sort of getting sick of being told kind of what to do, uh, and sort of thinking about what his duty and responsibility is, and just kind of wants to be what he wants to be without. I mean, without shunning you know all these people around him that he loves, um, and. It's sort of it's sort of that struggle, and yeah, there's great performances, and there's a lot of drama from what's going on around it. You know, all these sort of, you know, uh, the brother Dicky, you know, gets sent to jail in it. You know, that's not really giving away too much. Um, and it, yeah, it's it's sort of the inner conflict really for him, um, mm-hmm. and that that makes for a lot of drama. And it is a great drama. It's very well written. You're right, Christian Bell. I mean, with Christian Bell, there's just there's kind of just something behind the eyes like performance wise that really just kind of makes it like you know Mark, I mean Mark Wahlberg is very very good in it he really it's probably the best he's ever been in anything and this when was his film understand what that he saying. when you can understand really yeah especially at the beginning do you know what um, we sat down and you start watching it and it's about 10 minutes in he goes to a bar which is where he meets and talks for the first time to Amy Adams' character and I literally could not understand a word he was saying. I really, really couldn't. I really did not know what he, what he was saying. It's just that mumbling, that sort of very monotonous mumbling, sort of just under the radar. It's part of the character, though, isn't he? He doesn't really... He's being told what to do. He doesn't really have his own identity, his own voice. This is based on a true story as well, <laughs> you have to remember as well. Yeah, it is. And that's another bit would actually convince me how good the performances were. Right at the end, in the credits for the film you see the two brothers uh, sort of as they are in real life, just, just sort of chatting, mucking around, very much like, you know, displaying the kind of relationship that Christian Bale and Mark Wahlberg are sort of putting on in the film. And there was just there was just sort of that kind of playful energy and everything that Dickie had, Christian Bale character, that you really just sort of matched up with, with, with the real guy and the performance and thought, wow, okay, right, that is, you know, he's really kind of nailed this guy, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, Marvel. Maybe Marvel wasn't so lucky, um, but still, I, I mean, but basically, Mark Wahlberg again. So not not meaning to throw in any more gay puns. Mark Wahlberg is kind of the straight man here, and Christian Bale is the one who's kind of you know the more lively character, you know, who's who who shouts more, who fights more, who jumps around and kind of you know screams a bit more. Mark Wahlberg is the understated one, so that. I think it's dangerous to look at a performance like that and think, well, actually, that's the weaker performance. Um, which, I mean, to be fair, it is. But I, I still think he Marginally. does a very, very, very good job. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The fight scenes are very good. Yeah, the really. Re- the reconstruction of, you know, what are real fights as well? To reconstruct, I mean, they're very realistic. They're just, they're, I think they're really, really well done. And I was certainly on the edge of my seat, <laughs> knowing that probably he would win. You learn, I mean, you learn a lot about the sport without, I mean, and it goes over your head as you're learning it. It's just very much within the context of the film, the politics, the way, you know, the sort of the build-up, the, all the di- sort of different levels and everything they've got from it. Because obviously it's a massive sport, it's a massive business. 
Um, yeah, and it's a really informative. I mean, I'm not a big, but I don't watch boxing as a sport. But I was, you know, thoroughly kind of entertained by the boxing element of it. So it's a film about um, family, mm-hmm. about uh, relationships, how um, how relationships with um, you know a partner can maybe change your perspective on life as well. And it's about ambition and putting things to a side to maybe set your ambition. Would you say that's a yeah and responsibility, right? which kind of yeah comes in yeah. Uh, with with most of those, um, and so your overall impression of the film, then um, film of the week, yeah, 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 it was. I mean, it's a very, very, very good film. Good and Oscar chances, Oscar chances, probably for Christian Bale, definitely. I think that's Everything kind of this year's in the bag. Um, you know, one that's you know he's he's pitching up to everything and you well, know, that getting one them and all. Probably Natalie Portman. Yeah, yeah, for Oscars. Yeah. And they're the, they're the ones that we can really bank on, you reckon. Yeah. Okay, um, now, for over 10 years, television has got gradually more cinematic, with hour-long episodes spread out over an entire series, seeming like one huge film. Sky Atlantic launched last week a new channel from B-Sky B that focuses on American programming, with 40% of the shows coming from HBO, highlighting the continual growth of cinematic television. Now, Seth, where would you say this all started? Does it start with things like shows like The Sopranos and, and Six Feet Under? Do you reckon that's where the origins are? Yeah, I mean, their sort of drama, drama TV kind of became a bit more ambitious. I mean, from there, you're right, the format is sort of getting a lot more cinematic. Um, you know, the sort of the way that these shows are sort of getting longer and longer and longer. Mm. Um, and Not just in its spectacle as well, but in its writing. Yeah, yeah. So a lot more depth. Yeah, I mean, you look at something like The Sopranos and you look at Six Feet Under and, I mean, they're very nice to look at shows, but they're not actually particularly cinematic. I mean, they're, they sort of, they're on the right step. They're getting up there and these, you know, people are getting more adventurous. and more, I mean, t- because TV has basically always sort of been looked down in terms of drama as not, not dumbed down versions of film, but sort of scaled down versions. Because mm. there's only so much you can do with the budgets, the time, the, you know, and the, just the format, the fact that you're looking at it on a small screen. Sort of like the, the less successful little brother of film. Oh, well, in terms of drama, Can't I mean, TV serves all brother. sorts of, pur- I mean, a lot more arguably purposes than film. I mean, because it's, it's got so much out there. Whereas film is kind of stories, isn't it, really? For one of, you know, whether it's a documentary, whether it's a, you know, a, a, a sort of an actual, you know, bit of fiction, it's it's kind of stories, whereas TV has all sorts. So, um, for, 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 so for quite a long time, TV has tried to sort of catch up with film. Yeah. Really, hasn't it? And, it and, I, and I think, personally, it all started with the films like Lost, yeah. Band of Brothers, yeah. 24, as you mentioned yeah. um, a bit earlier, Off Air. Um, Lost for me became an obsession. Every single episode felt like a, a thriller to me, a thriller, like a film in itself. Um, I mean, I I don't know what to do with myself now. It's gone. I'm trying to find myself a, a replacement. Nothing seems to fit the bill. Um, they are the ones that really did raise the bar, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, the first episode of Lost, when that plane crashes... And that really, really vivid scene of the plane crashing on the beach, on the beach and everything. Incredible. I mean, that was really, I mean, that was kind of what they, I mean, when it first started, that's kind of what they marketed on. That was the scene that was being built. That was, you know, where the rumours of all these massive, massive budgets were coming from that was getting everyone excited. And that was the kind of thing, yeah, that was helping to draw these sort of, you know, uh, comparisons with cinema and film. Game changer. Uh, yeah, it was really a game changer, yeah. I guess. Um, but, you know, I think ever since then, it's just... TVs are getting bigger. The technology is getting bigger. Um, 
you know, everyone's getting a lot... I mean, film's getting a lot bigger. Everyone's getting more and more ambitious. So TV is starting to slide out of its medium into film, which is the next step up, which is interesting to see as well where film will go because film's hasn't really got a daddy in the same way. Sort of going to the 3Ds. Like, yeah, exactly. Really so, yeah, you can completely argue, yeah, so that's that's where that's from. But, I mean, yeah. if you look at stuff now, I mean, even on the sort of, you know, you said stuff like Six Feet Under, The Sopranos, stuff that I, I would argue isn't as cinematic in terms of, you know, to, to look at and, and the content. I mean, maybe the writing has a quality that, I don't know, if you were being a bit sniffy, you could compare to film. Um, but stuff like Mad Men, I mean, when you look at Mad Men, it's, I mean, the cinematography on that, is just absolutely stunning. I mean, every episode... I mean, Mad Men doesn't really, in my opinion... I mean, I, I like it. It's a good show. It's very well acted. I just... I think it's amazing to look at. I don't get m- too much more out of it. Other Hi. than the fact that it's incredibly true to its period. It's... Re- you know, just everything about it is lovely to look at. Um, the stories are a bit thin on the ground. Or I'm, I'm quite behind. I'm only on series one at the moment. Um, where people people tell me more gets go- uh, more happens than it gets going more. Yeah. Um, but I mean, just just stuff like that. I mean, and then you, as we were talking, you've got these sort of big war dramas. You've got Band of Brothers really started that off, mm. uh, which and is pretty the... much like because uh, that was that was executive produced by Steven Spielberg, Spielberg yeah. and Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks. Um, and basically it wasn't actually that long. Band of Brothers was it after Saving Private Ryan? I mean, it wasn't no, like a massive true. amount of years. Kind of like, a, and now you've got another. You've got the Pacific that was on last year. Yeah, um, that you know had. A, I mean, that had a hundred and fifty million dollar budget. I mean, and for TV, and that was a 10-part miniseries for that on TV. I mean, and the kind of things they were, you know, they were they were putting on there were really sort of amazing spectacle. Yeah, huge. Um, and, and of course, you know, with, with things like that, you were mentioning Spielberg and, and Hanks. Um, you know, a lot of names that you were getting from film are now going back, sort of, you know, what could be seen as regressing or maybe what used to be seen as regressing um, back, in, uh, back into television. I mean, you've got... Um, Dustin Hoffman is a you know that that's the thing that everyone's saying at the moment Dustin Hoffman who's you know very much always been I mean started in stage but very much has always been a film actor you yeah. know really sort of you know big films over the year that's completely what he's associated with and now he's doing a show you know on television which he's doing with Michael Mann as well who is an incredibly you know an amazing sort of you know kind of auteur you know really got a sort of visual stamp on everything he does cinematically he did you know, Heat, Miami Vice, Collateral, um, you know, he's done all these movies over the years which are really, really cinematic. And now they're going back and sort of, you know, going onto television. Hmm. Um, you know, Glenn Close did Damages, uh, Alec Baldwin sort of went to 30 Rock, Diane Keaton is starting another show as well. She's never been known for anything else other than film, so... Scorsese in Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, school, yeah. Which is the, which is the, the big one that is... Um, it's the new kid on the block, isn't it? Yeah. It's in the kind of Sopranos mould created by Terence Walker. Uh, he wrote and produced many of the Sopranos episodes mm. as well. It looks good. I mean, we've both watched only the first episode so far, but so far looks very good. Yeah, really good. Again, cinematography, very nice. Mm. Story looks like it's got a lot of depth. It's all based in the, the Prohibition period. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and again, it's got these sort of these people who are associated with film, as you say. Martin Scorsese's directed. I think he's only done the pilot episode, but I mean, still, you can he's still an executive producer, though. Yeah, yeah, for the rest of the show, and you can still see, you know, you can see his stamp in it. And I, I did. I mean, I, I wanted to see that on the biggest TV. I could see it on. Do you know what I mean? And even that felt. I thought oh, I could be watching this in the cinema. Right. I mean, the scenes just. Just when they're setting the scene, these sort of, you know, behind closed doors, prohibition, you know, when all the alcohol was outlawed and everything, just these mm. massive parties that used to go on, you know, sort of with these corrupt officials 
behind closed doors late at night. I mean, there's that scene where they walk in and there's all the, you know, all the dancers and everything. It's just such a spectacle mm. um, that, yeah. Some, there's some great programs to come as well on yeah. Sky Atlantic. Um, some really, really epic shows. Um, so quickly then, some film news. Uh, What's film the, news. Well, I guess the big film news this year, uh, this year, well, this week anyway, um, for us in Blighty is that the BAFTAs are on Sunday. Yeah. At the uh, uh, Royal Opera House in Covent Garden, gonna get the great and the good of the film. Oh, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't received my invite yet. Yeah, it's gonna be outside. I've been to maybe see if anyone will let me in. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, obviously the the biggest sort of night in British film. Um, everyone's gonna be there. Jonathan Ross is hosting, uh, and uh, yeah, if we just look at the nominees quickly. Sure. So we look at best film. Yeah. Shall we? Um, so um, five of them then: Black Swan, mm-hmm. True Grit, Inception, The King's Speech, and A Social Network. Mm-hmm. Before you give me your expert view, if I'm looking at the uh, the BAFTAs that I've looked, I've watched in the past, yeah. you, I put my money on The King's Speech. Yeah. I mean, the great thing about BAFTAs is, I mean, it is the British Academy Film Awards. They do tend to kind of favour their own. Quite often British films get nominated in amongst all these big kind of, you know, usually American juggernauts. Yeah. And quite often get, you know, sort of pushed to one side. Um, you know, if you look at last year, it was a two-horse race, Avatar versus Hurt Locker. Um, you know, both American, I mean, both very good films. And there wasn't anything as strong sort of, you know, from, from Britain uh, last year as there is for the King's Speech this year. Um, but I think very much that they're going to go with their own this year and yeah it will be King's Speech I think isn't it great to see though I mean we'll go into this properly when we do our Academy Awards special but then the likes of Inception in there which for years that kind of film although it's very clever it is an epic blockbuster and you know a lot of the time that sort of thing is completely missed out isn't it it's not even considered yeah again but I mean I would argue that you know sort of everything's moved on and that is a lot more intelligent and has a lot more depth to it you know in a kind of film that would be recognized it just happens to be you know sort of a multi mm. multi-million dollar you know blockbuster sort of as a backdrop and, and quickly as well um colin firth and natalie portman as your bets for best actor and best probably actress. i mean the good thing is with uh, bafta they kind of shake it up a bit i mean in, in best actress you've got numi rapace who was the girl with the dragon tattoo you know the the sort of series from the last year yeah um based on the Stig Larsson books. Um, and she hasn't been nominated anywhere else. She, you know, she's been snubbed in Golden Globes, uh, you know, Oscars and the like. And I think it's nice that sort of, you know, we're sort of keeping the Europeans kind of under our wing as well, which is nice and sort of looking at, and she's very good. I don't think she'll win, but it, it's nice to see it mixed up. But yeah, I think it will be the favourites. I think it will be Colin Firth and Natalie Portman. Okay, so um, just finally then, the box office top 10, uh-huh. just a very quick few words on each one as we sort of rattle through it. Yeah. Okay, so number 10, uh, The Green Hornet. <laughs> Brilliant. Number nine, Bryson Rock. Should have done better. And very good, in, yeah, in your opinion. Good, yeah. uh, number eight, Gulliver's Travels. I haven't seen that. Number seven, A Little Bit of Heaven. Has Whoopi Goldberg as God, apparently. What was you on? Number six, <laughs> no. The Mechanic. Yeah, haven't seen it. Number five, Sanctum 3D. Mm. Yeah, that's, is, that, is that all we can say? That's all, one? that's all. Number four, Down One. Yeah. Black Swan. See, so you can see that I've always wanted to do this sort of thing. Before. I know. Feature length favourite, Black Swan. Black Swan. Yeah, number four. Simon so slipped down as the fighter goes into number three. Yep. King's Speech still um, very strong at number two. That's uh, very popular with the British crowds. Mm-hmm. And still at number one, 
Uh, Tangled, Disney's Tangled stays there. Mm-hmm. You, you're fairly impressed with Tangled. Yeah, I like Tangled. Tangled it was enjoyable good. enough, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's it for episode two. Once again, if you enjoyed it, do pass it on. You can get in contact with the programme by following us on Twitter at Feature Length or you can email us, FeatureLengthPod at gmail.com and of course you can leave your feedback and also subscribe on iTunes. So we'll be back next week for a look at Never Let Me Go and for those of you who feel slightly threatened by foreign film, Seth will give you a quick crash course on getting you started. Have a good week and goodbye.